Cow Corner today. Come in, Spinner. Murali puts on the Australian shirt as Australia tries to further understand the mysteries of spin bowling as they prepare for the series with Pakistan in the UAE a little later this year. More big cricket for the ACT. Canberra to host a one-day international against South Africa in November. Is Test Cricket the next step? Matt Wade is stepping across town. He signed a four-year deal with the Renegades. There's plenty to talk about as we hit winter and the world watches that white ball booted around in Brazil. This is Cow Corner on Grandstand Digital, on Radio Australia across the Pacific and on iTunes. And sitting alongside me today, once again, my regular co-host Dan Lonigan. Dan, welcome back to the Cow Corner. It's been, uh, we've missed you over the last few weeks. Pete, great to be back. Uh, really love the program. Can't wait to talk cricket. And uh, you're right, who would have thought that Murali would be part of the Australian team? Obviously not as a player, but as a bowling coach. Uh, we'll hear from Darren Lehman and Murali very shortly. Interesting move. Obviously, they're very concerned about this. Sayed Ajmal, who got into international cricket late, the Pakistan spinner, but they obviously believe that uh, Murali can offer them some tips uh, when they play that series later in the year. And on Murali, is this a sign that Australia just has to get to grips further with the mysteries of the Dusra and uh, the complexities of that? And in a sense, are uh, we heading down the path of the subcontinental countries where we historically, relatively, have, have struggled to make an impact on the, on the slower turning pictures there? Well, my take on that, Pete, is that I reckon that they're trying to ensure, Cricket Australia, that is, that there's not a repeat of what happened in India yep. last year, early last year, when it was a, a disastrous tour. Since then, Australian cricket has been on an upward curve, but it was a disastrous tour. They certainly struggled against the spinners, who, with all due respects, aren't of the quality of a Sayed Ashmal or a Murali when he was in his pomp. So I think that they're just making sure that all bases are covered, that the batters are well prepared and ready to go. We know that Chris Rogers has been very solid at the top of the order and he has even said himself that playing spin bowling isn't one of his strengths. So that, that's an area they'll be working on. Dave Warner as well. So it's going to be fascinating as to uh, whether Murali can actually offer them uh, much sort of guidance. I think he can. I mean, when you take 800 test wickets, you've obviously got uh, something to show and uh, he's taken most of those on the wickets that will confront the Australians when they take on Pakistan later in the year. Hmm, I'm sure we can teach the bowlers a trick or two. I'm wondering what, uh, what a bowler can teach batsmen about facing this type of batting uh, this type of bowling on turning wickets. It's an, in, it's an intriguing uh, recruitment by Cricket Australia. Of course, Shane Warne oversaw that side of things in South Africa. He's not available. He's a busy man. He's in high demand. So to use Murali, I guess, to teach the Australian spinners a, a trick or two and maybe even talk to the batsmen about how to face this type of bowling and maybe some of the philosophies involved. But, gee, haven't times changed since the late 90s? We, the last thing you would imagine would have been a, a Murali uh, working alongside an Australian team. It's fascinating. And we'll see how uh, this series uh, unfolds later this year. But speaking of Murali and the Australian spinners, they're in Sri Lanka at the moment. Nathan Lyon, along with young bowlers James Muirhead and Clive Rose, are working with Murali in a camp in Sri Lanka this week. And this is what uh, Murali had to say about his uh, new role as Australia's spin uh, bowling consultant ahead of this series in the UAE later this year. Yeah, I'm very much excited. And I know Australian team is a very good side. And whatever I know, a little bit of inputs I can put to them and try to do well in the series and make sure the spinners does well in those conditions because 
those conditions might help spinners. So I know a few tricks to tell them what to do in those conditions. So I have played there a lot of matches, uh, especially one-day matches. So uh, that will help them a little bit. Ajmal is a difficult customer too when it comes to all the batsmen in the world and he's a little bit similar to me like bowling so if I bowl to your batsman might help a little bit and also uh, give some tips so that might help. There's the man himself Murali in Sri Lanka earlier this week. As for Darren Lehman, he spoke to Cricket Australia about his thoughts on Murali's appointment. Obviously work with the batters and Nathan Lyon uh, and whoever other spinners may be on that tour. So from our point of view, um, he's you know, the highest wicket taker of all time in test cricket and off spinner. Obviously we're going to face someone like that over there with uh, Ajmal. So from our point of view, it gives our batters a real chance to experience those sort of conditions, how to play that type of bowling uh, with Murali coming on board, but also to help Nathan develop his skills. So. We're really excited having him. I know he's excited, so looking forward to working with him. And you know, it'll be great, great experience for him, but also the team. Is Australia now trying to develop one of these so-called mystery spinners? It's an interesting one. If they can do it, then yes, you develop them. Um, the, the hardest thing it seems to be naturally done overseas with different types of spinners. So Murley being one of them, Ajmal being another. Um, end of the day, it's a hard thing to coach, hard thing, hard thing to bowl that douche for. So. From our point of view, we've got to keep developing and expanding our spinners full stop, um, but also making sure that they're, they're getting their basics right, buying a really good off spinner, for example, or a leg spinner if they're a leg spin. Okay, you talk about uh, Ajmal. Is, is he the most dangerous bowler going around today? Well, history says so, doesn't it, over the last sort of 12, 18 months, especially in those conditions. So from our point of view, he's going to be a big player for Pakistan. If we have success against him, uh, a, a bit like Graham Swan, if you like, it goes a long way to us playing the brand of cricket we need to play to be successful overseas, especially against Pakistan in Dubai. So we certainly got to play him well. They've got some world-class bowlers apart from him as well. So we know we've got to develop our skills against them. But he's a you know their, their strike bowler. Will the plan be similar to Graham Swan then to try and hit him out of the attack? A bit of both, I suppose. It, it, one you've got to be able to pick him first, uh, and that's a, a great one for Murley. Hopefully, to transfer that information over to our batters. And if we can start to do that, then we can have an aggressive approach. We'll certainly be aggressive as we normally are anyway. That's the way we play our best cricket. So we've just got to work out what's best. And, and individuals will be totally different within our team. Some will really take him on and play him enough. Some haven't seen him before, and they'll have to work out the best way to score runs and stay in. You, you've you've uh, got Murali on board now, as well as you're trying to develop an Indian pitch over here. Uh, how, how does this tie into Cricket Australia's longer-term strategy of playing in subcontinent conditions? Well, one of the biggest things for us is to be successful in the subcontinent. I think we've won one test series basically in India, for example, in the last 30 or 40 years. But you have to correct me on that. I'm not, not totally sure. Um, but from my point of view, we're playing most of our time in the subcontinent now. So if we can have a pitch here that, that really mirrors that, or, or pitches, you know, three or four pitches that mirror an Indian, Sri Lankan, Pakistan background, if you like, that makes it easier to have the guys come up before a tour rather than go to the tour earlier and try and cram it. You've got a, a lot more time to prepare, which in essence will make them better players when they come under those conditions. Australian coach Darren Lehman. This is Cal Corner with myself, Peter Newlands, and Dan Lonigan. Next up, we're going to speak to the Renegades' new recruit, Matthew Wade. This is Cow Corner, ABC Grandstand's Cricket Show.
This is Cow Corner. Dan Lonigan and Peter Newlands with you. Well, great recruiting news in the Big Bash League for 2014-2015 with the selection of former Australian wicketkeeper Matthew Wade to join the Melbourne Renegades from crosstown rivals the Melbourne Stars, which would be hard-pressed to be beaten for the biggest local recruiting coup of the competition so far for the upcoming season. And Matthew joins us on Cow Corner. Well, Matthew, it's uh, an interesting move. I mean, you've been a star for the Melbourne Stars. Why have you decided to uh, go to the enemy, the Melbourne Renegades? I think the main thing is probably the opportunity to, to get back up to the top of the order at, at some stage uh, in the top four. To uh, That was probably the biggest part of, of moving. Um, as we know, with T20 cricket, the, the top three or four batsmen at the moment do the majority of the work and uh, for my career going forward, and I suppose for um, higher honours, if I want to get back to playing for Australia, I need to be scoring runs at the top of the order. So that was probably one of the main reasons that uh, I made the move. At this stage of your career, Matthew, is a, just a slight change of scenery a good thing for you? Uh, yeah, it may be. Uh, look, I've played my whole career under Greg Shippard and uh, I've played with a lot of those guys from the stars for my whole career. So I don't think it'll it'll hurt to, to shake things up a little bit and uh, have a new experience. Obviously, I've, I've had Simon Helmet for a long time as well, so I'm pretty familiar with the way that he goes about his coaching. But, um, yeah, I suppose I put myself under a little bit more pressure to perform at the best that I can uh, in the Renegades team instead of maybe just... Um, playing a role in the Stars team, which which I could have done for a few more years, but I, I think I've taken the opportunity to, to, to step up to the plate and um, become uh, a really good T20 player. Looking back on last season, Matthew, of course the Stars just were were dominant through the, the round-robin format of the competition and then lost that final to the Hurricanes and missed out on the final and then, of course, the Champions League as well. Do you think more, there could be more of a reward for the team that finishes top of the, let's say, the home-and-away leg of the, of the competition? Yeah, I think I think it's hard, obviously, how you would go about doing that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, it didn't just happen to the Stars, the Renegades, uh, the year before that, and then uh, I think of the Hobart Hurricanes, maybe in BBL One, were probably the dominant dominant team in the competition, and they've all been knocked out in the first round of the final. So I think uh, I'm not sure how it'd work, to be honest. But you know, it's a, it's a shame that you can dominate a whole year like the Stars didn't, like those other teams I spoke about, and then to be knocked out in the first round is a shame. But um, that's the way it is at the moment. You've got to perform on that night, and uh, if you don't, you're out. Matthew, can I ask you about the Sheffield Shield season? There's going to be changes uh, to the way teams win games um, with an, an altercation in the points system. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it'll take a little bit of getting used to, but I think, you know, with time, everyone will get, get quite used to it. Um, you know, it's been boarding probably to stop teams batting on for a long period of time in the first innings to try and create... Um, a few more results, so uh, it'll take a little bit of getting used to. But um, you know, competitions have changed previously. In the one-day competition, they changed it to 25 overs each or whatever it was, and, and players adapt to it. So um, yeah, it'll take a little bit of time, but but players will adapt, and so will coaches. And I think we'll find that the game won't be changed too much, and results will, will stay similar. Do you think we'll see a different kind of wickets now with this new points format? Will it change that side of things? Uh, I don't think so. The directive was probably to the wickets had been a little bit juicy for two or three years there and, and, and bowlers were finding it a lot easier to take wickets and batters were struggling to make runs. So I think it was definitely a shift in last season with the wickets being a lot better and, and batters being able to bat for long periods of time. So I don't think there'll be too many changes there. To be fair, if, 
if you do get picked at the next level, you've got to learn to, to bowl on flatter wickets and batters need to bat for a long period of time with the extra day of, of test cricket. So I don't think there'll be too much of a change in the wickets. Um, I think that'll stay pretty uh, similar. And Matthew, how does another season of uh, pre-season or another period of pre-season rock your boat? Yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot, to be honest. I haven't been home for a winter for probably three or four uh, winters, so it's been it's been nice to be at home and to get back in the gym and uh, train, with, train with the boys, you know, on a regular basis rather than, than being on tour. It's been nice to just freshen up and uh, get back into it, do the, the normal things that normal people are doing around the house and, and going to the beach, walking the dog, stuff that you don't, you don't uh, get to do too much when, you, when you're overseas playing. So it's been nice to just freshen up and I think it'll hold me in good stead for the season. And how does it give you a chance, Matthew, to take stock and assess where you're at maybe with your international career? And have you been doing that uh, through these months at home? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, everyone wants to play at the top level. So, yeah, to, to get back, to get in the gym and get training and, and working on things that I need to work on to get back to the Australian level, yeah, def- it definitely crosses your mind. But, you know, it's really important to, to work on the things that I can do to become the best player I can be. And if that means that I get the call back up to Australia, then that's fantastic. But more importantly, it's probably for me to, to work on the things that I need to work on and become the best leader and the best player that I can for Victoria. And uh, I think if I do that, then the rewards will come down the track. What would those things be specifically, do you think? Oh, there, there, there's lots of little things that you can always work on. No one's ever 100% satisfied with their game. But I think, you know, just being open-minded to, to try new things at training, uh, challenge myself every day with different drills and, and different stuff with Shippy and uh, really just be open-minded to, to, uh, to change, I think, is a big thing. Cricket is a are pretty stuck in their ways at times, especially when things are going well. And I suppose it takes a little bit of a lean period to, to have a look at, at what you need to do to, to improve. So, um, you know, I could go into lots of different little things, but we'd be here all day because we're always trying to improve. But um, yeah, more, more importantly for me, it's just been open-minded to, to try different exercises and try different drills. Matthew, it's great news for the Melbourne Renegades. Good luck in your new venture. Good luck also in the pre-season and the lead-up to another year for Victoria. Thanks for joining us in Cow Corner. This is Cow Corner, ABC Grandstands Cricket Show. This is Cow Corner on Grandstand Digital and also on Radio Australia across the Pacific. Dan Lonigan and Peter Newlands with you. Great to have your company once again. Well, after hosting one day internationals before and the Sheffield Shield final last season, Marnica Oval in Canberra continues to rise in prominence as a legitimate cricket ground to host important fixtures on Cricket Australia's calendar going forward. Marnica will be home to another one-day international this summer against South Africa in November. Mark Vagano is General Manager of ACT Cricket. He's on the line to tell us all about it. Well, Mark, this is outstanding news again for cricket in Canberra. How confident were you that uh, Marnica Oval would get a one-day international this summer? Oh, look, we uh, we know the scheduling is uh, rather complex this year, but already we obviously having three uh, three World Cup matches certainly put us in the frame. The rest was after that, depending on what was available when. Um, probably in a quieter moment, we thought maybe one of the uh, England-India Tri-Series matches may have been on the cards, but a very pleasant uh, surprise, and I think a great reward for Canberra and the region for their support of uh, international matches recently, with the last three matches at Monica basically being sellouts. Do you think, Mark, that Canberra is going to be uh, a fixture, uh, have a fixture on the international calendar every year now? Looking ahead, 
Uh, look, obviously the, the Prime Minister's 11 match is, uh, is our, our staple, uh, our iconic match there. So that's a staple that's pretty much guaranteed by uh, by Cricket Australia. The rest probably comes down to, to scheduling and, you know, it can be a combination of things in any given year. So whether it's things like Sheffield Shield matches in the, in the final, uh, whether it's uh, in time, uh, some expansion of BBL matches, if there's a fifth round that we might come into that mix, uh, we are part of the Thunder Zone uh, at present, uh, in, a, in a partnership arrangement with uh, Cricket New South Wales, or you know, international matches of, of varying degrees, um, the main thing is the facility speaks for itself. It is being recognised for the for the quality of the uh, conditions, and it's just a fantastic boutique ground. So, uh, dare I say, we're uh, always on the lookout for uh, as much content as we can, and we've had terrific uh, support from the ACT government, which has been very proactive. Mark, on the scheduling. Is it drawing too long a bow to suggest that uh, it's only a matter of time before Marnica hosts the Test match? Oh, look, again, uh, it's, it's very much that, that uh, waiting for the, for the right opportunity at this point. I think it'd be pretty fair to say there has to almost be seven Tests in the summer uh, in some shape or form for Marnica to, to host one. However, in time, looking at the, the economics of, um, of things, there might be one of the... Um, you know, the smaller nations coming out to play Australia and, and if that falls into the summer period, that may represent an opportunity. But we're pretty realistic at the moment. T20, you know, BBL, Shield, one day is probably our staple. Uh, always looking uh, towards it. If, if the opportunity arose, um, we've got a facility that can facilitate that now. And dare I say, a facility that can facilitate uh, day-night tests as well. Mark, it's fantastic news, as we said, that uh, Canberra gets to host another one-day international. Hopefully big crowds against South Africa. Really appreciate your time again on Cow Corner. We'll catch up again soon. I appreciate it, and thanks for, uh, thanks for looking after it. That's Mark Vagano, the CEO of Cricket ACT. Dan, as we move towards the end of the program today, this is the centenary of the birth. This is, that is 2014, as we mentioned earlier this year on our program. It's the centenary of the birth of perhaps the greatest cricket commentator of all. And later today on Grandstand Digital, you can hear a special program presented by Jonathan Agnew that pays tribute to the great John Arlott. And here's a sample. Commentary of John Arlott, who's one of the most familiar voices here. On Test Match Special for over 30 years, born 100 years ago, John made his final broadcast on this program in 1980, before he passed away 11 years later. We're going to hear plenty of examples of John's unique style of commentary over the next half hour or so in the company of his biographer and friend, David Raven-Allen. It's lovely to see you here, David. Good to be here. Great stuff. And, and it's always so lovely talking about, about John, isn't it? I mean, all of us, uh, I suppose of a certain age now, but even youngsters will, will, will know of John Arlott if, if they love cricket. They might not have heard much of his commentary. Actually, I hadn't heard very much of his commentary because, as I said, they, I mean, he stopped in 1980. Um, but yet you still know that this man actually, above all other, was, 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 was it, wasn't he? I mean, I love Jonas, colour, bouncy, great communication, but for description, this is the man. I think he would be amazed himself to know that 23 years after he died and what 1980's last commentary you've just said, that he still remembered. But he was totally extraordinary. He was, a, he was a great man, I think, in many ways, as, as we can explore. Uh, how, how, what was John's cricket like? Well, uh, he was Stonewall Jack, he was called at school. He's, he was a rebellious schoolboy, really. I mean, he fell out with the headmaster rather painfully on many occasions and uh, left school early, in fact, to go and watch a cup tie at Reading, uh, which wasn't the favourite thing to do from the establishment's point of view. Then went to a town hall, the local town hall, learned how to type, became a diet clerk 
in the local ment uh, the Park Pruitt mental home, which was quite an onerous job. He had to get the right dimensions of food for everybody. Then became a policeman, attracted to that job not only for the cricket, but also because it attracted a pension, and his father advised him to go for a job with a pension. And he was a policeman on the beat, saved Oswald Mosley from the mob on Southampton Common once when it was getting out of hand. And uh, he then became a detective sergeant screening aliens and conscientious objectors. And his detective superintendent, or rather whatever they call him, uh, loved him writing his reports for him, so he gave him a lot of freedom to go down to the library. And uh, he had total freedom to do more or less what he wanted, and he started giving workers lectures, buying first editions, which in the war years were extremely cheap, and then striking up a relationship with the authors. Therefore, he met John Betjeman, who introduced him to Geoffrey Grigson, and there it went on, in, yeah. in, you know, and became a literary programmes producer eventually in the BBC. Let's listen to how he made that journey from poetry to cricket commentary. Yeah. I just achieved my aspiration of becoming a poetry producer in the BBC. And I was in the Eastern Service and we had a programme planning meeting in January 1946 and the head of service, Donald Stevenson, said, isn't there an Indian cricket team, he said, with a rather distasteful time coming this summer? And I said, yes, there is. Oh, yes, he said, I remember from your interview, you're keen on cricket. When do they start? I said, the first Wednesday in May. Where, he said, I said, Worcester. He said, where do they go then? I said, Oxford. He said, how do you know? I said, because I've got the fixture list in my office. He said, have you ever done a cricket broadcast? Yes, said I, stretching the truth, because all I'd ever done was a 15-minute talk about Hamburg. But uh, he said, would you like to do it? And I thought someone had turned me upside down. It was impossible. So I gasped out, yes. He said, can you do your programs and that as well? And I said, yes. So he sent me off to do them. And when I got back on the Wednesday, the head of service said, if you want to continue, you can. You did it, but you must get your programs done. So I missed, I think, about five programs that summer. I ended up so broke it wasn't true. But, you know, for the others, it was no great translation. They, they were somewhere about there. But for me, it was a sort of seventh heaven to be watching cricket and talking about it and being paid for it. You've got to be a natural talker because there's a time when a fast bowler walks back to his mark when you've got a devil of a lot of filling in to do. It is a contemplative game, you see. It is a game that produces art, painting, writing, poetry, and I suppose commentary is just a step down from that. He really was one of a kind, Dan, and uh, I don't mind saying it, he was a broadcasting genius, John Arlott, born 100 years he, ago. He sure was. I heard him at the very end, 1977 yeah. centenary test with Alan McGillgray and, of course, Graham, Smokey Dawson and Christopher Martin Jenkins, Paul Sheehan, etc. I remember being at my grandmother's house in Ivanhoe in north-east Melbourne, 
listening to the first day of the Test match and uh, the last session when England had just come in after bowling Australia out for one three eight and. Uh, the dulcet tones were on, and even as an eight-year-old, you could appreciate uh, what a genius, as you he say, was, Pete, that he was. He was very. He was uh, something right out of the box. Dan, stat of the week before we go on Cow Corner. A lot going on in cricket. We should mention that Test match in England during the week at Lords. It was yeah. a very interesting game. England five hundred and seventy-five, and two sixty-seven. A double a double century for Joe Root in England's first innings. A century for Gary Balance in the second. Sri Lanka, 453. One of your favourites, Sangakara, 147. Angeline Matthews, 102. And in the final innings of the game, Sri Lanka, 9 for 201. They hung on, and I mean hung on. A dramatic last over with uh, the Sri Lankan player, Nuan Pradeep, facing the last five balls. He was given a reprieve on an LBW decision. And it was uh, the ball following that. It fell just short of the slips cordon. They hung on. And uh, the series stands at nil all with the next test match to be played at Leeds starting on Friday night. Dan, the start of the week, a one-day international in uh, Bangladesh of all places. Uh, India made 105. Bangladesh bowled out for 58. A grand <laughs> total of 163 runs in the game. You don't uh, That's not very many runs in a one-day game no. these days. Uh, Stuart Binney, four for six last week that we talked about. The great Gary Gilmore and he's four for 14 at Heavenly. Well, uh, Stuart Binney's taken it a fair way lower than that. Four for six. Now, this game never ceases to uh, amaze and surprise. Dan, great to have you back. We'll look forward you to too, the Pete. program next week as uh, we'll do it all again at the same time uh, on the program that loves its cricket, Cow Corner.